Yes. Omega Watts in the house. Now let me set the table, now, now, now let me set the table Invited to the banquet, I'm glad that you can make it Invited to the banquet, I'm glad that you can make it questions I ask myself when I question myself Table fam, how are we feeling tonight? Come on Sorry, I'm so, I'm honestly, uh, I'm just recovering a little bit. That was just an incredible, like, music set, like, going into, like, I Exalt if you grew up in church, or, like, crying like me, like, in the front row. So can we just give it up for Anna Luisa, for Abby, for uh, Hanan singing for us for the first time, uh, for Carolyn singing with us, and Cole and his band, leadership with the band. So, man, I'm just really grateful that we have such an incredible just music team um, that could just lead us in musical worship every single Tuesday night. I was talking with uh, Cole, uh, who leads, like, our band and puts together a lot of the stuff on a Tuesday night, um, and just saying, like, I forget sometimes just how incredibly blessed we are to get to experience such high excellence and quality and heart and in character. So I'm just really grateful to our music team. So tonight I just feel especially uh, encouraged by them. But hi, uh, if, I haven't, if I have not had a chance to meet you, uh, my name's Isaac. I'm the pastor, a young adult pastor here at First Orlando, and I'm the pastor here at the table. And man, if it's your first time, first time in a long time, um, whatever, uh, whatever brought you here, whatever reason you are here, whoever invited you, however you found out about what's going on on a Tuesday night or perhaps even coming for like uh, 17 years, whatever your reason for being here, I'm just really grateful uh, that we get to gather together today. I just sense that today is going to be um, a really amazing night. Um, but to start us off, I have a question for you. Have you ever done something and you felt like you had to do it, you didn't want to do it, and you were mad the entire time doing it? Have you ever felt to do something where you felt like you had to do something, you didn't want to do some, that thing, and you were mad the whole time doing it. So um, I know um, so when I was in college, so I was in a fraternity in college, I know I look like such a frat boy, I know, I know. So when I was in college, I was uh, uh, pledging or rushing a fraternity. So there, as part of the, the fraternity interview process, um, I'm there and I'm sitting across the table um, from these, these two guys, these two guys that were in the fraternity, and they're like, and they're like these two like broy bros, because they're like frat boys. Um, they're like, hey man, I'm, I'm Brother Mark, I'm here with Brother Chris, and I'm like, y'all are, I don't know how to interpret this. Okay, they're like, yeah man, but to be, to be in this fraternity, Phi Kappa Chi, man, I'm glad you're checking us out, but to be in Phi Kappa Chi, um, you know, you, you need to embody the values that we embody. And I'm like, okay okay, well, what are the values that you guys embody? They say, well, man, you got to be, because it was a Christian fraternity, um, so you, you got to be committed to Christ. I'm like, okay, yeah, look, I think I can do that. I mean, I was a Christian in college. I can, I can be committed to Christ. And then you need to value excellence. I'm like, okay, well, I, you know, I strive to do my best, so I, I think I can do that as well. And they're like, and you need to be humble. And I'm like, bros, I'm the most humble person I know. <laughs> like, I, humility, check. Like, I could write a whole book on my humility. It's incredible, right? Um, you know, and you need to be, um, you know, have respect. I was like, hey, I think you can be respectful. Um, you need to have integrity. I'm like, okay, I think I can have integrity. And then they said the last one. Um, service. We embody service. We embody serving others. And I'm like, my, my wheels are going in my head. I'm like, okay, cool, 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 cool. Like, how do I, okay. So what I told them, I was like, oh, yeah, like, I love serving people, which was a lie, right? Like, I love just service. Oh, yeah, I love just giving back to the community. Oh, yeah, that's my, that's my favorite thing to do. Absolutely. So they sang the five values, but for me, there was two values for why I wanted to be in a fraternity. I wanted to play sports, and I wanted to meet girls. So here I am, you know, as they're, as they're telling me the five values of the fraternity, like with the service one, I was like, ah, I mean, I just, I'll say whatever I need to say in order to be part of this fraternity. So there I was. So I, eventually I get in. And it's 8 a.m. on a Saturday morning. 
And there I am with the, you know those shoes that like you only wear to like get like really nasty because they are like your nasty pair of shoes. You put on those shoes, put on those shoes. That one pair of shorts that already has paint on them, you put those back on. You know, I'm out the Saturday morning, 8 a.m., you know, with that, the t-shirt that from like you have had for like that retreat from five years ago and like you use it like for this kind of stuff. So I'm there like in the outdoor service project um, and I'm there and, you know, I'm painting the fence you know, and we're, you know, picking up the leaves and picking up the trash. And I'm like, I hate this. Is this this place where I can be honest, right? Can I? I hate this. Oh my gosh, this is terrible. You know, and we're giving back to the community and like, man, you know, the guys next to me, like, isn't it so good that we're just giving back to the community? And I'm like, yeah, man, sure. So here I was doing something uh, and I'm mad that I'm doing it, right? See, because here is what I had outside behavior. I was doing the thing. I was doing a good thing, right? I had the outside behavior, but on my inside, I was mad. I was just frustrated to be there, right? I know like you've had your own experience for doing something because you felt like you had to and not because you wanted to, and you were mad doing it. Y'all have roommates, dishes in the sink. Come on, y'all. And you're like, ugh. There you are doing your your roommate's dishes again, and they just keep piling up, and you're like, but you need to put your own thing. You don't want them to pile up, and you're like trying to be a good roommate. You're just mad the whole time doing it. And then you're like really passive-aggressive, where you're like you'll leave a note, right, next time they, so the dishes don't get piled up too much. Or uh, one of your roommates' laundry, right? So you go in, you get the laundry, right? And what do you do whenever they leave their stuff in the dryer? You put it right on top, and you're kind of frustrated because you didn't move it, right, because they, they didn't move it. Or for some, you know, you've got invited to a birthday party of a friend from like seven years ago. And you're like, oh, do they know we're not friends anymore? <laughs> but like, I don't have the heart to tell them that like our relationship has changed. But like, honestly, I'm exhausted. I don't want to go, but it's just easier just going to this birthday party. And I'm mad the whole time that I'm there just because I don't want to have that conversation that the status of our relationship and friendship has changed, right? So there we are doing something on the outside and on the inside, we're mad, Right? So the reason I mention this is because in Jonah chapter 3, we've been in the series of Jonah. In Jonah chapter 3, we're going to see if Jonah's outside behavior matched his inside feeling. Right? So we're going to see Jonah has this outside behavior, and we're going to see if it matches his inside feeling. So if you have uh, your Bibles, it'll be on the screens here or on your apps. We're going to be in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. All right? So for context, um, God told Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh. And Jonah said, no, and he runs away. We talked about that week one, right? So uh, from him running away, storm comes, he gets, gets thrown overboard, he's in the belly of a fish, and then Jonah's like trying to um, kind of process his life when he feels like he's in the belly of a fish. We talked about that week two, last week. And here the fish vomits Jonah out onto the, the dry land, right? So he just got out of the belly of the fish, and here we pick up the story in Jonah uh, chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So here's uh, Jonah, God, telling Jonah again, Hey, Jonah, you get a second chance, buddy. Let's do this thing. Uh, go to Nineveh, and I'm giving you a second chance. And God told Jonah the same thing um, a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. Because here's what God wants to do. God really wants to change the world. 
God wants to change the world. God wants to change Nineveh. God wants to change the lives of the people in Nineveh. And God wants to provide every opportunity for Jonah to participate in him changing the world. So God is going to give Jonah another chance because God's going to do what he's going to do. So God's giving Jonah another chance to participate with him as he's changing the world. So we see in verse 3 where he says, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Okay, so Nineveh. Nineveh was this great city. Nineveh was incredibly powerful. It was the most powerful city and the most powerful country in the world at that time in Assyria. And it was also a very evil city. See, in, in Nineveh, what they did is they perfected, we talked about this week one, they, perf- they kind of experimented with how to kill people. And they got really good with experimenting and got really creative in the ways that they would murder people, right? And there was also filled with injustice, filled with oppression, right? And it was just a very just evil place. In verse 4, we, we read that Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey. And he called out, here, and here's what he called out. This is the message, right? Here's Jonah's moment. Here's Jonah's moment to shine. Here's Jonah's moment to participate with God. He had gone to Nineveh. He did the thing. Now he sang the thing, and this is the thing that he sang, which is incredibly interesting, where he says this, where he says, Yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be, and here's this word. It's in Hebrew, and there's a reason why it's in Hebrew, hafach, right? Yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be hafach, right? That's it. I know you don't know what hafach means, we'll get there, but that's it. That's the message. That's it. He was done. He was like, okay, I gave my message. I'm good. All right, God, bye. All right, Nineveh, bye. Like, that's his whole message, right? So the reason that this word is in Hebrew um, is not just because I'm trying to be, like, nerdy and, like, I know Hebrew. No, it's actually really important to what's going on here, right? Because I actually don't know Hebrew. I just, uh, I'm decent at researching. Okay. So um, so with this, because this word hafach, it actually has two meanings, this word hafach has two meanings. See, the first meaning, this first definition is overthrown and destroyed. Okay, so let's read Jonah's message to the city of Nineveh if we're going with definition number one, where he says, Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown and destroyed. Meaning, in 40 days, God is going to destroy your city. Bye. Have fun. Or, if we go with the second definition of hafach, then Jonah, then the message is this. Yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be transformed and changed. Which definition do you think Jonah wanted to happen? Yeah. The first one, right? Why, 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 why do we think, why, why do we let to believe that Jonah may want the first one to happen? Because he's mailing it in. He's literally doing the bare minimum. Like, this is me when I was doing the backyard cleanup, right? I got the paintbrush, right? And I, at the, I got, went to the fence, and I'm like, um, a half coat of paint. That's probably okay. I think I'm done. Bye. That was Jonah um, as he's giving this message to the Ninevites. He's doing literally the bare minimum, right? Because um, this says nothing about God. His message says nothing about their evil ways. Um, This is in English, it's eight words. In Hebrew, this is five words. He gives a five-word message, right? So Jonah, he wanted Nineveh to be overthrown and destroyed. But what definition did God do? Well, let's read verse 6, where he says this, where he says, well, in verse 5, where he says, And the people of Nineveh believed God. That's all it took. 
See, see, God wants to change the world, and God will change the world, and he's inviting Jonah to participate with him to change the world. And Jonah, he's honestly, he's kind of doing everything that he can for God not to do what God wants to do. He's like, all right, God, you want me to give this message to the Ninevites? Cool, I'll give a message to the Ninevites, and I'm going to give them not enough information. I'm going to give them not what they need in order to truly turn to you. But God still does what God wants to do, and God does what only God can do. Right? So the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Right? From the greatest of the people in Nineveh to the least of the people in Nineveh. Like everybody, everybody is believing in God. They are fasting, putting on a sackcloth. They're putting belief in action. That's what belief means. We'll talk about that in a second. Right? They called forth for a fast, put on a sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. See, and their belief in God, the people of Nineveh, see, their belief in God, here's what it did. It changed the world. The people in Nineveh, their individual, their individual people, their individual belief in God changed the world. Let me show you. Here's how, here's how it changed the world, right? See, because they called for a fast, put a sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them, um, it even reached the king of Nineveh. Verse 6 here. The word reached the king of Nineveh. And here's what the king is. See, this king, he was a symbol of pride. The king was a symbol of arrogance. The king was a symbol of murder and oppression and injustice and military might. And here's what this really prideful king does, where he does, the word of the Lord reached Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Is that how a king normally behaves? No. A king is to prove dom- to show dominance, to show force, to show strength. Putting on a sackcloth, sitting in ashes, is the exact opposite of what an arrogant king would do. It's somebody who's humbling themselves, submitting to God, believing in God. That's the action. And now we're actually going to read the next few chunk of verses together, and I'll give commentary along the way, as I normally do. Um, but I want us to really, I want you to lean in, right? Just because it's, um, I know sometimes as you're looking at the Bible on the screens, it's like, oh, now's the time for me to tune out until I hear a story. Um, I'm saying, hey, look, read the text on the screen and really lean in. Lean into literally what the text is saying, because there's a lot of vivid imagery that's going on and describing their belief and God. So you guys tracking with me? We good? Yes? Yes? We got a few head nods, a few like, yes, a few like, oh, do I, can, I, can I speak back? Is that okay if I like talk back? Yes, it's okay if you talk back. Okay, let's go. So, so he says this in verse, um, in verse 7, where he says, and he issued a proclamation, this is the king of Nineveh, and he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. And he says this, he says, hear ye, hear ye, he doesn't actually say that, where he says, um, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. He's saying, hey, look, the animals, Bessie, the cow, she's believing in God too. We're all doing this. We're doing this thing together, right? So every, everyone's done on this, all the people, all the animals, everyone's believing in God. Um, let them not feed or drink water. So this is their fasting. This is just um, an action they're putting into place to symbolize and to show people that they are believing in God. Verse 8, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. In verse 9, and who knows? Look, this is what we're doing. Our, here's our response. We're putting on the sackcloth, ashes. We're not eating. We're not drinking. Um, you know, we're not, we're, it's borderline like animal abuse, honestly, right? We're not, animals can't, can't, uh, can't eat either, right? Um, but I know they've done way worse. Verse 9, who knows? God may turn and relent 
and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. This is the king. This is the king of Nineveh who's issuing this decree, this proclamation for the people in Nineveh. Verse 10, and when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Okay, I have to give a a very quick side note, kind of caveat thing. Okay, as you read this, especially verse 10, um, you know, you may think, oh, this is just a classic case of like Old Testament God being angry again. Oh, man, like we need to get him back on his meds so he's not like as angry as, you know, oh, man, that Old Testament God is really angry. See, New Testament God, New Testament God is loving. New Testament God is kind. But the Old Testament God, we just got to like make sure that he's, let's just like, make sure he's okay over there and we'll just like think through the New Testament God who's very loving and kind and patient and gracious, right? So um, we're, I want to address this not today. We're going to do this in a few weeks and really figure out why was God in the Old Testament? Was he really going to destroy them? Was he really going to like not relent? Was he, God actually going to do that? But we'll talk, if you're curious about that, um, we'll talk about that in a few weeks. But here's the big point. Um, God essentially doesn't want the Ninevites committing evil to his people and to each other. God loves his people, right? So God is going to do uh, everything in his grasp, be able to provide opportunities for people not to commit evil to each other and to his people, right? So the Ninevites love this, right? They love this God now. They're believing in God. And here's how the Ninevites respond. Um, And here, it's going to be on your screen here. Firstly, here's how the Ninevites respond as we read through the text. They're aware of their evil behavior. See, the Ninevites are aware of their evil behavior. We already talked about they love murder. Um, They're probably doing like Grand Theft Chariot, right? They're just like stealing things. Um, Right? And maybe some of you, right, you've experienced, I mean, this is a a safe place. We all have different backstories. Uh, Murder, uh, taking vehicles that don't belong to you, right? I think some of us can relate to this very strong atrocities of evil, whatever your story may be. See, what I would imagine, though, for, for most of us, I think we can relate uh, to being aware of evil behavior when it comes more like, um, like using somebody else's body for us to get off that's not in a covenant, that we're not in a covenant relationship with. That's evil. Um, abusing alcohol to the extent that, that we're harming others. It's evil, right? Or maybe that's not your story. Maybe your story is more like um, uh, talking about somebody negatively about them whenever they're not in the room. That's evil, right? Or, or perhaps it's um, uh, just comparing ourselves to others and we're just bitter and other people just seem to be getting all the things and we never get the things and we look at somebody else's life and our life is not their life and they just seem to be, their life's amazing, they're posting again, like, oh no, like they, they learned all the TikTok, I'm not on TikTok, oh, they learned all the TikTok dances, right? Uh, whatever, whatever it may be. Or somebody, perhaps your story is, hey, there's just um, unreconciled uh, beef that you may have with someone an unreconciled relationship. And it's not just that it's unreconciled because that happened, but it's that we may be so unwilling to put forth our effort to bring unity into the relationship, to bring forgiveness into the relationship. And we just are so okay with just being, having so much beef with people. Like, that's their problem. I've burned so many bridges. That's their problem, right? I'm just going to go live my life over here. And then if I'm in the same room with them and it's awkward, that's their fault. It's evil, right? So there's varying levels of evil that I think we can, we can identify with. And here's how the Ninevites responded. As they're aware of their evil and as we are aware of our evil, here's then what the Ninevites did. Number two, they, they repented. See, repentance is interesting because um, 
repentance um, really, like if you look at it, like in, literally at the word, it means um, a change of mind and a change of heart. Repentance is a change of mind and a change of heart, right? So I think the best way we can think about it is just a change on the inside, right? Repentance is once we aware of our evil, once the Ninevites were aware of their evil, um, they repented. They, they changed their mind. They no longer wanted to do the evil things in their heart, right? In their mind, they're like, man, how I'm living is not good. So as for us, I mean, as, as we think through repentance, as we can relate to the Ninevites, um, we can think through repentance as a change on the inside where we no longer want to do the things that we don't want to do. And number three is belief, right? See, and belief, this is a change that's presented in action on the outside. So belief is action, right? You say what you think, but you act what you believe, Right? You say what you think, but you act what you believe. See, belief is change on the outside. So here's the Ninevites' response. As they went from aware of their evil behavior to repentance, a change on the inside, into believing, which is the change with their actions on the outside, which is why they did all the actions with fasting and sackcloth, and they did all those things. So for me, I remember I was in the, the fraternity. So after I'd been in the fraternity for a couple years, um, I went to go work at a summer camp. And while I'm at the summer camp, um, there I am I'm at the summer camp at around a dinner table, and it was like the, the summer camp training. So I'm there at this training with my other fellow staff members that are also going to work at the summer camp for the summer. So I'm sitting there, um, and with, after this meal, with just people my age, my peers, this incredible thing happens that, I've never, that I had never experienced before. See, after the meal, one of my peers, um, um, this guy, he gets my plate for me. And he goes and he throws it away. And I'm like, bro, that was my plate. And he's like, I know, man. Like, it's a joy to serve. I'm like, what? Like, what do, you, what do you mean it's a joy? He's like, yeah, man, it's a joy to serve. Like, I just love serving you, man. And I'm, I'm, I just want you to be a recipient of the service. And I'd love to get your plate for you. So here you go. Right? And then after that, I needed a drink refill. And this girl just goes and she just refills the, dr the drink of water that I had. Says the same thing. Like, Isaac, it's just a joy to serve. And I'm thinking, who, these people are so weird. Like, what, did I sign up for a cult? And I really did. And then I was like, had to like go home and research, like, what is a cult? Okay, single identified leader. Okay, cut off communication with your family. Okay, not allowed to exit and enter. Like, two, two or three of those are true. So I guess I'm not in a cult. I don't fully know. Anyway, here I am for the summer. So there I am in this uh, kind of like camp thing. I'm trying to figure out if it's a cult or not. And um, so I'm there, and everybody's just like so servant-hearted. I just don't get it the first week. And here I am, because they had already worked. It was my first summer, but it was not their first summer. So they're serving me, and they're loving me. And, that, you, know, and you know what happened after a few weeks of my peers, people my age, just serving me unconditionally, not expecting anything in return from me? You know what that did? It changed me from the inside out. To where I, a few weeks later, I was like, oh, I think I, think I can do this. So, like, I'm grabbing plates for the people that I'm working with. And then, the, you know, the campers came in. I'm grabbing plates for the campers. You know, I'm filling drinks. I'm going way above and beyond what my job description was in order just to serve people. And then I, the weirdest thing happened to me. I started finding joy in it. And I didn't understand it. I was like, what is going on here? But I'm just like enjoying, like I'm sweating and it's hot. And like, I'm in a sense, like in any other context, I'm miserable. But like, this is so fun. Like, I just, I love this. It changed me. So that I go back, I go back that fall, back to the fraternity. And uh, we, were, we were there. So I was entering my third year in the fraternity. And we're there and we're playing like this flag football game. And then after the game, all the cones just get left out. 
So for me, I just practiced what I had been doing all summer where one of the guys that was on my team in this game that we were playing, where he says, oh my gosh, I can't believe that left the cones out. And I just did what I had been modeled for me where I'm just like, hey man, come on, let's go get the cones. It's a joy, it's a joy to serve. And as I'm saying that, I'm like, who am I? Like, what is, what is going on here? Like, I don't recognize myself or what's going on because here's the big idea. Change on the inside produces change on the outside, which rejoices at change in the world. I'll read that again. Change on the inside produces change on the outside, which rejoices at change in the world. Right? So there's a change on the inside. It's repentance. Which then results in changing our outside, and this is our actions and our behavior. And then after we're changed from the inside out, right? Inside our heart and our mind, change on the inside, how we're feeling about things, just being changed on the inside, produces change on the outside, which changes our behavior and our actions, which then, once we start doing that, change inside out, here's what happens. We see other change starting to happen around us. We start participating in that change happening around us with our outside actions. We start participating in what God's doing, right? God starts changing our heart, right? Then we start moving um, externally and our behavior just shifts and we start doing things that we never thought we would do and then we start just being happy at things that we never Never thought we would be happy at, and we rejoice at the change in the world. But unfortunately, that's not Jonah's story. Because what happens with Jonah, in verse 4, it says this, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. See, Jonah, see what happened with Jonah? There's no change on the inside. We see consistently in the story, chapter 1, chapter 2, here are chapter 3, and we'll see next week more in chapter 4. There's no change on the inside. Here's all Jonah was doing. Jonah was modifying his behavior. Jonah was just doing the thing. God told him to do it. First he said no, and then he said fine. And then he did the thing, and he does the bare minimum, changes his behavior, changes his outside, no inside change. And here's what happens whenever you only change your behavior without any inside change. You don't rejoice at the change in the world. Jonah's not rejoicing at the, the transformation of the Ninevites, right? He's actually mad at the transformation of the Ninevites. He's angry. He's judgmental. And another way that we can think through change is this. Change equals transformation and growth. Change equals transformation and growth. So we can read it this way, is that transformation and growth on our inside will produce transformation and growth on our outside with our behavior and our actions, which then rejoices at the transformation and growth in other people. So um, can, I, can I share, can I be honest? Can I share something that um, really bothers me, but also I have to like check my own heart in this as I'm sharing, like, as I'm kind of sharing my own heart with what I'm about to share? Okay. It frustrates, probably one of the biggest things that frustrates me is whenever I see people that proclaim to be Christians that do not rejoice at the life change and transformation and growth of other people. To be a Christian, to say you are proclaiming Christ, means that you are changed on the inside. From that inside change produces outside change, and from that outside change produces being so exceedingly happy at other people's journey whenever there's growth. Okay, let me, let me say it this way. Um, uh, I'll use the word growth. To be a Christian means that we are growing on the inside, which then means we're growing on the outside, 
which then means we're so happy and joyful when people uh, around us, that God is working with them and we get to participate in the transformation and growth of other people. But too many times, y'all, I see people in the exact same spot that they were a year ago. There's no change. There's no growth. And if there's not continual transformation and growth from the inside, there's not going to be much transformation and growth on the outside. And that's why we see people, and that's why I'm saying, um, I'm pointing the finger back at me, right? Where I see myself like, am I just doing the same thing that I've always done for the last year? Am I just going to the, to the, just doing the same thing, saying the same prayer, keep talking about the same things in my life, just keep going through the same motions? A year later, people are asking me, and I just keep responding in the same way. They're like, you're still going through that? Yeah. Why? Because there's no change. There's no transformation. Now, I want to hold this intention because it, transformation and change take time. But man, if there is zero trajectory of change and transformation um, from the inside. Zero trajectory of change and transformation with our behavior, doing different things, entering into new seasons of life, allowing old seasons to end, allowing new seasons to start, doing new things, continually hearing what God is speaking in our life, being teachable, right? Receiving feedback, being so amazed at what God is doing. That's what it means to be a Christian, is that it's this new thing that God is constantly doing in our lives. So my question to us is, are we receptive to the new thing that God wants to do in your life, or are you closed off to the new thing that God wants to do in your life? We'll go to Nineveh, we'll do the bare minimum, and then we'll just live our life exactly the same a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, four years from now. My hope and my prayer for us is this, is that change happens on the inside which produces change on the outside, which rejoices at change in the world. Yeah, and I know this, when it it comes to growth, when it comes to transformation, y'all, we are imperfect. Nobody is perfect. Nobody has it all figured out, which even more so highlights if we feel like we've arrived, then there's not a lot of growth and transformation that we allow God to do in our lives. And whenever we don't allow God to come in to grow us, transform us, to change us, then we just, we're stuck. And we're not consistently growing and transforming. So we need to be in a place where we never feel like we've arrived. You know when you arrive? When you die. And you see Jesus face to face. Until then, we are imperfect, broken vessels for Jesus to use. Right? And this is the beauty of the gospel. This is the good news. It's because we don't need to feel like we have it all figured out. We don't need to feel like we've arrived. We can still be in the, in, be in the, the processing things. We can still be struggling with things. We can still um, just try to figure out how we can live our lives. And as we're doing that, as we're living our lives, we're bringing people into our lives so we can process this growth and transformation. So we can see if Jesus can come in. Jesus himself is the only one truly that can change us on the inside. We can't control that. Jesus controls that. But we're open-handed. And we allow Jesus to come in, change us on the inside, which then produces the change that other people see on the outside. Nobody sees your inside change, you do. But we can see this outside change in other people, and then we can rejoice at Jesus doing that in other people and participating with him as he does that, right? And this is exactly what Jesus says, right? Where he says, um, in, uh, he says this as he's starting his ministry. He says, the time has come, and the kingdom of God is fulfilled. He says, repent and believe in the gospel. That's what Jesus says. Where Jesus says, hey, 
Um, the time is now. Be aware of your brokenness. Be aware of your evil. Be aware of your sin. The time has come. Um, repent. Change your mind. Change on the inside. And believe. Take action, consistent action towards me on the outside. Jesus essentially, in the gospel in Mark, he essentially um, just has another version of change happens on the inside, which produces change on the outside, which rejoices at change in the world. So as we're wrapping up here, how can we cultivate inside change? How can we cultivate inside change, right? Ultimately, we can't, we have to be open but how do we cultivate? How do we take steps? How do we even start the process of cultivating inside change, knowing that even inside of us, only God can do what only God can do. Only God can truly enlighten our hearts, right? But how do we um, cultivate that? Number one, we have to be aware of our brokenness with specificity. Be be aware of our brokenness, right? Um, if you grew up in church, you've heard of this. Oh yeah, Jesus came to die for sinners. I'm a sinner, therefore I'm going to heaven when I die. But the reality is, yes, we're all sinners corporately, and yes, Jesus came to die for sinners, but here's with more specificity. Um, Jesus came to die for your specific sin. The anger that you struggle with, the lust that you struggle with, the judgment that you struggle with, right? The sexual impurity that we struggle with, right? The alcohol that we struggle with, the relationships that we struggle with, the envy that we struggle with, the comparison that we struggle with, the anxiety that we struggle with, the insecurity that we struggle with, the depression that we struggle with. You guys talking with me? Jesus came to heal you. And we need to be honest with ourselves around what are the things, what are the specificities is our brokenness, Right? For me, right? I say, I've said this all. I said this all the time. Some of you are new. Hi, I'm Isaac. Um, for me, a big one is approval. Like that is one of my limps. That's my brokenness, right? Just constantly wanting people's approval, and that's the thing that continually need to be aware of. So Jesus can come in. So I'm not trying to live my life to please people. That Jesus can come in to heal me. That I can just live my life that's honoring and glorifying to Him, regardless of whatever people think about me, right? I'm, being aware of our brokenness is step number one for cultivating inside change. And here's number two. Number two, teachability. Teachability. Uh, here's one of our axioms. Teachability is the only shortcut. Uh, meaning, if you want to get ahead in life, if you want to go anywhere in life, if you want to grow and transform and change, we need to be a people that are teachable. We, by teachability, I mean we're open to feedback. We're open to what other people have to say about us that tell us the things that we really don't like to hear about ourselves. Like, oh, you saw that? Oh, dang it. I was hoping nobody saw that about me. You notice that? Oh, man. Some of us, our tendency is to get incredibly defensive, right? To make excuses, to put up walls, to not want to receive feedback, to not want to be teachable. See, Jonah, Jonah wasn't teachable. See, see what, Jonah, what Jonah did was God said, hey, Jonah, um, here, here's your best next step. Go talk to Nineveh. Trust me, it's going to work out. You're going to love it. And Jonah wasn't teachable. So Jonah says, no, and he ran away. So God, you know, storm comes, fish comes, gives Jonah another chance. Um, God says, hey, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Here's a second time. You, have, you can go to Nineveh, right? And, and then he's not teachable because then there's no inside change and he just does the bare minimum. God is consistently trying to teach and to mold Jonah. And Jonah is so resistant to the teachability of God. He's so resistant to the teachability of others trying that love him and are trying to encourage him and help him grow and transform. But here's what the Ninevites do. And it's incredible because you would never expect this. You would never expect this incredibly arrogant king 
who's, who's leading this inc- incredible military power to be teachable. And yet the people of Nineveh, these very arrogant, prideful people, are the most teachable people here in the story. So where they hear from God, 40 days and you will... Uh, be overturned or destroyed. Right? Hey, 40 days and this thing's going to happen to you? And they're like, wow. They heard a word from the Lord. And when you hear from word of the Lord, our response is to receive it and then use that and use that as a mirror to examine our own lives and God is speaking to us. When we start hearing from him, we use that as a lens to be able to examine our lives. Or we can use that as a, nah, I'm good. I don't want that. I'm going to go do something else. Right? So teachability is the only shortcut. So how can we cultivate our inside change? Awareness of our brokenness, teachability, change on the inside produces change on the outside, which rejoices at change in the world. And y'all, I want nothing more for you than to cultivate your change on the inside, allowing Jesus to come in, to heal, being aware of your brokenness, to heal your brokenness, right? If you want to see change in the world, here's how we see change. We draw a circle around ourselves, and then we allow Jesus to change everything inside of the circle. We don't like a situation we're in, right? There's conflict going on at work, with our family, with our friends, whatever situation we may be in, and it's weird and it's awkward. You know how we see change? We draw a circle around ourselves, change everything inside of the circle, allow Jesus to come in, to heal and redeem everything inside of the circle from the inside out. Change on the inside produces change on the outside, which we can rejoice at change in the world. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you, God. Thank you just for your word. Thank you for Jonah, uh, the book of Jonah, the, the God just as an example of things that we can model and things that we want to stay away from. God, and I'm so grateful, God, for your grace and for your love and for your peace and for your joy, God, that you don't condemn us. God, that you just want to lavish us with love, provide opportunities, God. You, more than anybody, want to change us from the inside. So we change on the outside. So we change your world and partner with you, God, as you're healing and redeeming the world around you. I love you. In Jesus' name.